All right. Well, thank you, everybody. I'm David G. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And thank you so much, Ashley, for your service. And thank you for reminding me of my video. I forgot that last week. So thank you. Dennis T., thank you for your service, brother. It's always good to see you. A lot of good friends of mine here tonight. Thank you for coming out and uh, joining in with us on this chapter. Man, what a powerhouse this chapter has been when you read it like we've been reading it over the last few weeks. Taking a deep, deep look at this thing and looking at faith and looking at faith in a new way, looking at faith in our own thinking, our own reasoning, not just faith in God, you know, like we thought. And that's what was so, I guess, different for me when I came back in 2019 and went through this book for the no telling how many times I'd been through this. And, uh, you know, I, w- I was sitting here reading these pages almost like it was the first time that I'd ever went through it because it was so powerful what I was seeing with new eyes. And uh, I really began to have an experience that changed my life with this. And it really started showing me what the culprit of my addiction and addictions had been all this time. I always thought it was booze and lust and drugs and, you know, codependency or food or whatever it may be. And there is no doubt that is the flea. But the bug is something much different. And uh, we see that we have put our faith into that bug, which is self. And therefore, I've acted everything that has laid out for me to do. I entirely depend, as it says at the bottom of page 54, I'm entirely dependable upon it. And I don't even really know that this is happening. And so this is eye-opening for me. I mean, eye-opening. Now, I, I have an idea about God. I think we all do. I think that we learn that from the time that we're little. So there again, you know, and I've said this in, in the past weeks, I, I don't think we're here to try to change who God is. I don't think that's possible. But once I can change my conception of who God is, then I really begin to have an experience. And that's what was different. So we looked at it last week, that reasoning with a capital R reason with a capital R. We looked at how we had worshiped people sentiment, things, money, ourself, the sunset, the sea, a flower. It asks us how much did these feelings, these loves, these worships have to do with pure reason, little or nothing we saw, you know, and then it went on to tell us that these feelings, after all, determine the course of our existence. And when I look at how my life has played out, even inside of the rooms, I have to begin to wonder if something much greater has not been directing my thinking all along because I'm sober from alcohol and drugs, but I'm not having a new experience. And in fact, I'm getting drugged backwards in in other areas. Lust and sex addiction was a big one for me and uh, many others that are on this call. And so we want to take a close look at at why that is, and and we're beginning to see that now. And we're going to pick up on page 55 tonight, and we're going to start with the second paragraph that says, actually... We were fooling ourselves. And I will guarantee you, every one of us has fooled ourselves about this. Not knowing any better. Deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental, and this this is the key words, idea of God. It's a fundamental. Charlie used to say all the time, if you're not having fun in recovery, you're going to go damn mental. So that's what fundamental meant to him. But it's an idea of God that we have from the time that, as a child, it says. It says it may be obscured or, in other words, blocked by calamity. I want to look at that as a question. Is that the truth for me? 
by pomp. I want to look at that as a question by worship of other things, you know, without knowing it, I had worshiped money. I'd worshiped sex. I'd worshiped all this stuff. Now, if you asked me that, no, I would have told you absolutely not. But if you looked at my actions and my behavior, I guarantee you would have seen something different. So the book says in some form or another, it's already there. For faith in a power greater than self, a miraculous demonstration of that power in human lives are as facts as old as man himself. We finally saw, and this is where I was in 2019, I finally saw that faith in some kind of a God is a part of my makeup just as much as I have the feeling for a friend. But there's another part of me that is a part of my makeup as well. And this is the part that seems to override everything else. And this is the part that seems to get me into trouble. And this is the part that I'm going to have to face and be rid of through this process. But I learned about it right here. It says, just as much as we have the feeling for a friend, there was an old-timer in our group early on when I was in Alcoholics Anonymous, and he had about 20 or 25 years, and he was an old war vet, and just one of those guys, he had those cool punchline, you know, just those one-hitters, and and I just loved him. You know, he was a real alcoholic, no doubt. And I can remember, I didn't really buddy up with too many people, but I remember buddying up with that old man. And I'd take him to the horse races, and he just loved all that stuff, you know, and uh, we would have a great time. Well, he got sick and ended up in the VA hospital and was dying and called me. They said, hey, you better come to see him because he's not going to be around much longer. And I can remember going up there that day, and there was just a feeling that poured out of me. It was a sadness. It was a joy. For the first time, I really felt that kind of compassion for another human being. And I never really understood that feeling. I just didn't, I didn't know that feeling very well throughout my life until I was reading the book with one of my guys one day and we ran up on what I just read. Faith in some kind of a God was part of our makeup just as much as we have the feeling for a friend. So what was coming out of me that day to my friend, that was the love of God. And I, only I didn't know that. I, I just didn't realize that. It says... Sometimes we had to search fearlessly. There's that fourth step. We're most definitely going to have to search fearlessly and take a look at some things with inside of ourselves to be rid of before this power can flow into us the way that it will and has. So we had to search fearlessly, step four. But he was there. As soon as step four, as soon as I cross that line, that's a big hurdle to jump the way we do it here. You can ask a few of the people on here that I've sponsored. That's a big hurdle to jump with that fourth step. But I promise you, just like it says here, he is there. He was there. He was a much a fact as we were. We found the great reality, capital G, capital R. For me, that's God. That's this ultimate reality deep down within us. Now, when I first read this, years ago that gave me a very strange feeling on the inside because I had always been taught that God was far away. He was like an elderly gentleman that lived in the sky and he had a notebook and a ruler and he was keeping score and he was doing all this stuff. And that's kind of what my vision of God was. The only place that I never looked in my entire life was within myself. I looked 
all over for God in places that they would tell me, go here, go up on this mountain, do this, do that. And I would do all those things. And uh, the dirtiest place I thought he could ever be is where I found him. And that was within myself. And I'm going to have to go fearlessly and I'm going to have to search and I'm going to have to get inside there and I'm going to have to take a look at it, some things. So it says in the last analysis, after I've analyzed everything else, there he is. It is only there that he may be found deep within me. It was so with us. And so I really don't have to analyze that anymore. Today, I know that to be the fact. I just do. Our book says we can only clear the background a bit. If our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, that's them old ideas we've been reading about for weeks here, enables you to think honestly. That's something that I will have to be enabled to do by a power greater than myself. I just don't do that. That just don't happen for me. Encourages you to search diligently within yourself. There's that fourth step again. We're going to want to pay close attention to that. Then, if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. With this attitude, you cannot fail. Probably one of the greatest promises in all of the AA Big Book for me right here. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. Emmett Fox says it in this way. Be careful the God you pick because that's the one you get. If you pick a mean one, you get a mean one. You pick a loving one, you get a loving one. The consciousness of your belief is going to come to you. And that has been the truth for over and over and over and over. And so that's, that's powerful. That's just powerful. The consciousness of my belief. And it has. And today I live by that. I don't fear God the way that a lot of people fear God anymore. I have fear as far as respect. I have fear as far as awe. I don't have fear as far as trembling and being scared and afraid to approach God. I just don't. That idea is gone. So in this book, you will read the experience of a man who thought, keyword, thought, he was an atheist. Now, if it's in this book and I will read it somewhere, where could that be? I never really paid attention to that much until I was reading this book real carefully one day. And it says in this book, you'll read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. Well, where in this book? Well, in the third edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, this story is found on page 497. In the fourth edition of this book, on page 208, that man's story is found in this edition, which most of us probably have here with us tonight. And this is a great story. Now, this is, they're just going to give a little bit of it here. But um, definitely, definitely take a look at that story. It's very interesting. And I'm not big on the stories, but I really enjoy that one. It says his story is so interesting that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Now, let's look at dramatic. That's usually to do something physical. Convincing, that's usually mental. Moving, that's usually spiritual. So we're looking at the physical, the mental, the spiritual, over and over and over. The book has showed us this since we started. Now here's a little bit about it. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious, rebellious at what he thought, an overdose of religious education. Anybody else ever have that experience in their life? Anybody ever go to church, be made to go to church? I can remember a little bitty being made to go to church and told how I would pray and told how I would, and I just rebelled at that. I just hated it. And I can remember when I was big enough to get away from that, I did and never went back for many years. The book says for years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration. 
How about us? Anybody else? What about business failure? Insanity? Fatal illness? What about suicide attempts? Any of us ever done any of those things there? These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Really, when I read this book, that story is talking about that man, but it's most definitely talking about me. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism. These are all questions for me. Impending mental and physical collapse question brought him to the point of self-destruction. One night when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience, not just sober, not just sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. This man knew an experience that freed him, that walked him a free man. We've said this from the beginning. If you want to know how to stop drinking, acting out, what if, just quit. If that's the problem, just stop, and there shouldn't be any more problem. But every time we stop, there's another set of problems that show up in the mind, and that always leads us to either this problem or more problems. So that's exactly where this man was. He was approached by a man who had known a spiritual experience. So our friends gorge rose as he barely cried out. If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. Anybody else ever feel that way? But later alone in his room, he asked himself this question. And this was a question I asked myself for many years inside of the fellowship. Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? Now, while pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Look how the spiritual experience, the spiritual awakening comes to us. I always thought it'd be a loud boom or there'd be some fire. I don't, I don't know what ideas I had, but it usually shows up like this. Then like a thunderbolt, a keywords here, great thought came. It crowded out all else. And that's usually the spiritual experience. When that great thought comes. And nothing can override it. And it stays with me. I've had a spiritual experience. But like this man, I pondered the, pondered the answer of the religious people for years. I just did. I remember working with Charlie and thinking, could they have all been wrong? Yes. Then the other part of my mind would say, no, they couldn't have all been wrong. They, well, yeah, probably most of them. No, they, no. And this went on forever. When I come back through this work in 2019 and I come up on this, I remember sitting with the man that took me through this work. And I asked him that question. I said, I've wrestled with this for years. He said, the only thing that ever wrestles, David, is self. The spirit doesn't wrestle with you. Self wrestles with you. He said, the ego always wants to know right or wrong, black or white, up or down, front or back. He said, so you're not wrestling to find the answer within your spirit. <laughs> you're trying to satisfy something that cannot be satisfied, and that's the ego. And I tell you, that really changed the way that I took a look at that question. It doesn't matter if all of them that I've known were wrong. It doesn't matter if all of them was right. My experience today is that's what's right. And, man, what an experience that's been. Well, it says, who are you to say there is no God? Now, I would probably consider myself over the years not saying anything like that. Of course, I know there's a God. But when things go kind of crazy in my life, and I depend on self more than I depend on God, am I really not saying there really, now there's not really God? And if there is, then I'm, I'm going to rely more on this because I'm afraid not to. I don't know any better. Well, it says this man recounts that he tumbled out of his bed to his knees and in a few seconds he was overwhelmed by a conviction keyword 
a conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him. With the certainty and majesty of a great tide, it flood the barriers. In other words, all these prejudices, these old ideas we've been talking about, he had built through the years were swept away. Look at the great promise. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. That sunlight of the spirit, I can remember in 2019, laying in there on the, on the east end of the, of the home here, dying, crying out to God, please, you know, whatever. I, I, I just kind of wanted to get over the consequences and move on with my life. I really didn't want to have to face what I was going to have to face, and I sure didn't want a lot of people getting hurt that ended up getting hurt out of that deal. But that's not always how it works. But I can remember after that and coming through this process, just standing in the presence of that infinite power and love and knowing that I'd been given another chance after 25 years in Alcoholics Anonymous with many experiences behind me. This experience that I've had through this work this last time has been something that has been absolutely life-changing. I've seen it begin to turn an entire fellowship in another direction and looking at self it's been amazing what has happened here. I think there's many of us on this call tonight that stand in the presence of infinite power and love. That's a great promise here. He had stepped from the bridge, let's say, of reason, like we read back over. Where was that at on page uh, 53? The bridge of reason to the shore, and we're going to say the shore of faith because that's what it's talking about. He had stepped from the bridge to shore. He came all the way in. He sat all the way down. He had the experience. He's a free man. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. What a promise. What a promise that is. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. No later vicissitude has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away. That very night, years ago, it disappeared. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought, keyword, the thought of drink, the thought for me of lust, acting out all that crap, going back to that way of life, that's never returned. Never. At such times, a great revulsion has risen up. Look at these two words. In him. That's where it takes place. It, I kept looking for it on the outside of me. No. This great revulsion is going to rise up inside of me, and that's exactly what happened. Seemingly. He could not drink, even if he would. He has no choice. He can't, he can't drink. <laughs> we can't go back to that. There's no way. I mean, we can, and we can get beat up, and we can hurt some. But I promise you, after having this experience, the way this book's talking about, we'll never go back to that. We just don't. We recover. And so God had restored his sanity. And really, that's what we're looking for here. We're looking to connect to the power. The insane beliefs and ideas that's held us in bondage from self for so long have finally been swept away. We stand in infinite sunlight and presence. We've been restored to sanity. If I'm powerless, power must be my answer. If insanity is ruling my life, sanity must be my answer. The answer is step two. Now, the other 10 steps keep me in that answer. If I'm not in that answer, I'm moving back toward the problem, which is old ideas and beliefs. And there's an addiction waiting for me there, and it will come to see me. That has been my experience. The book says, what is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing. Step one. To believe. Step two. He humbly offered himself to his maker. Step three. Then he knew. 
I don't know what this man knew, but I know what I know. And I know what my men and the people that I've taken through this process is going to know at this point. We're getting ready to come to inventory pretty quick. And so steps one, two, three, right there in them couple of sentences and get ready because we're going to write inventory. No way around it. Even so, God has restored us all to our right minds. Look at that. All of us. Wow. How is that possible? If I do what this book suggests, it promises me right there, he will restore us all. Not just me, not just you, all of us. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly. The revelation that's sudden, that's the spiritual experience. Those of us that grow into it more slowly, that's the spiritual awakening. But he has come to all who is, and, and here's the condition, honestly sought him. That is the present. So it says, when we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. I hear that all the time. Well, I found God in AA. I found God in church. I found God over here. You know, you'll find God if you'll just do this and you'll just do it. Not according to that sentence right there. If I will draw near to him through this process, if I will surrender and abandon myself, realize that my old ideas is what has defeated me. Make a decision to turn to God as I understood him, not as I understand him. We'll come up on that pretty quick too. Then I don't have to go look for God. According to that, he will disclose himself to me. I don't have to go look for him. And that's exactly what happened. I was begging for God. I was ready for God. Don't get me wrong. I was in a lot of pain and I was hurting. But I don't care where I looked. I couldn't have found him because <laughs> I'd been looking for a long time. It's whenever I quit looking and I drew near to him that he disclosed himself to me. So three things that I look at at the end of this chapter with the people that I work with. One is to review the chapter pretty closely. Two is to get quiet within ourselves. Just be silent. And then three, ask this prayer. God, am I ready to step from the bridge of reason to the shore of faith? I need to be sure of that before I move into this next chapter. Because if I'm still holding on to an old idea, it's probably going to come to meet me. And it's probably going to beat me up and through here somewhere. So beautiful, beautiful chapter. The entire chapter is, is laid out for step two. This is more a, more than a belief in God. This is about being taken to a place in a position of neutrality to where we can be safe and protected, not from lust, not from drugs, not from alcohol, but from the beliefs that drive us to lust and drugs and alcohol. And when I'm taken there, that's far beyond a belief, far, because a belief without any action is just a belief. Now we're going to take action starting in this chapter right here. And without this, we can have all the faith we want, but without any action, just like Columbus, he stood on the seashore day after day after day, and he believed that the world was round, not flat, but until he took action based on that belief, he made a decision and took action based on that decision. That was just a belief. He just stood there day after day. That's the same way with us in this program. We can believe all we want to believe how mighty and wonderful and powerful God is, and that's a great belief. Don't get me wrong, but if I don't take action, and I don't make a decision. That's just a belief. So we're going to kick it off with how it works. And this chapter will be dealing with steps three and four. We've looked at one and two now. We've seen the insanity. We've seen the beliefs. We've seen how these things dominate and control us. Now we're going to take a look at making a decision. 
and um, we're going to start in chapter five, how it works on page 58. If you have a different book other than the fourth edition, I would just encourage you to move to the front of the book and work your way over until you find where it says how it works. Now, you hear all kinds of stuff in Alcoholics Anonymous and different fellowships. How, H-O-W, honesty, open-minded and willingness, that's what it means. Or, I don't read that anywhere here at all. I don't read none of that anywhere in this book. It talks about it in the back of the spiritual experience, but they don't talk about it here. So for me, that's not what that's talking about. These first few sentences are going to show us two kinds of people that are going to die inside the fellowship after they get sober. And that's scary. All the work that I've done up to this point, there's still a possibility that I'm not going to make it if I don't finish and follow through. And he says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has, keyword right here, thoroughly followed our path. Now, you hear all kinds of stuff. And I, oh, Bill, you know, if he could rewrite the big book, one of the things he'd never put in there was rarely. And I ain't read that anywhere. I read a lot of the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I haven't read that anywhere. It says, rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover. And if we do not recover here, there's only one other option. We die. And that's just how it is. And people don't like to hear that sometimes. That's a promise. That is a promise in the big book. If I don't recover here, there's only one other option for me. And there's two classes of people that we're looking at. First class, those that cannot. I cannot make a meeting every night. I cannot talk to my sponsor every single day. I can't read that book with you every day. I cannot do this. I will not do that. I can't do that. I won't, you know. I will not, you know, write inventory. I, you know, I will not this. I will not that. Well, the first kind class of people are those that cannot and the second class is those that will not and those are the two people that are not going to make it inside of the rooms and i don't care how wonderful their belief and faith and all that stuff in god is it's been my experience in almost 30 years of coming around this thing and doing this those people don't make it they might stay sober at best but they never recover from a hopeless state of mind and for me uh, if i can't do that there's no point in me being here Two kinds of people, those that cannot or those that will not completely. And here's the key to it. Give themselves to this simple program. You'll hear it in the rooms all the time. My program, the program, a program. No, the book says this program. The program that's outlined in this book, period. I see a lot of people that get tangled up in other ways. And they work at the program pretty hard. But one of the things that I see is they miss a lot through these first few chapters of the book and try to jump right into making a decision in step three and writing inventory. And man, until I can see what's honestly beating me, my chances of succeeding at that are slim to none. So it says usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. The reason that I cannot be honest with myself is because of self. I need to take them out of that and put self there. Because that's why I can't be honest with me. I don't know how to. It won't let me. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. It tells me right here, it's not my fault because of self and the things that it does to me. They seem, key word right there, seem. It doesn't mean they are, but they seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. So all the work that I've done up to this point from the preface with a sponsor, reading all the way through the first three chapters of the book, looking in depth at step one, coming through chapter four, looking at two, getting great hope is telling me right here that unless 
I can develop a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty within me, then my chances of succeeding here are less than average. That's pretty scary. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover. And there is a condition if they have the capacity to be honest. Not with everybody else, within themselves. So our stories, and we're talking about the first 100 that wrote the book, the stories. Our stories disclosed in a general way, what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. You will hear people come to the podium most places that they speak, and that's what they'll tell you. I'm here to tell you what I used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. Well, I look at that somewhat different after being here for a long time. I'm pretty sure if you're like me, you know what it was like. Uh, I'm quite sure of that. There's no need for me to stand there for 30 or 45 minutes and tell you what I was like and tell you what happened to me and what it's like now in the next 10 or 15 minutes. I want to get out of that story pretty quick because the ego loves a story. And once I start getting into a story, my mind wants to either add to or take away from. So when I read that now, I look at it in this way. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like. That's the day I showed up here. What was I like? I was broken. I was humbled. I was hurt. I don't need to tell you why. You know. What happened? I come in the rooms and got sober. I stayed in here for a little while. I ended up not doing what was thoroughly suggested, and I relapsed over and over and over and over and over, and I couldn't get out of that cycle. That's what happened. But moreover, what happened was once I hit that bottom, I had an awakening from self. That's what happened. What's it like now since that happened to me? That's what I'm going to want to talk about. And there again, this is the way that I look at it. Look at it any way you want. If your sponsor tells you something different, listen to your sponsor. He's the man you need to listen to, not me. But this is how I see it. Question here. If you have decided you want what we have, question. Do you want that? When I work with men, that's one of the first questions. Do you want what we have? And are you willing to go to any length to get it? And we want to stop and define it for a little bit. It is not sobriety if you want sobriety just don't drink you want sobriety from acting out just don't act out you're sober right it's got to be more than that it has to be we're talking about the spiritual awakening that we looked at through chapter four getting rid of old ideas coming to terms with self and beginning to look at it are you willing to go to any lengths to get it the spiritual awakening from self if you are, the book says, then you are ready to take certain steps. Then you're ready at that point, not just come in here. Okay, let's start working the steps together and jump right in the middle of them and take off, you know. And, and I used to do that with people. I did, and with not very much success. Today, we have a much different approach that works very, very well for a lot of people. As some of these we balked, some of these steps, we thought, keyword, we thought we could find an easier, softer way promise right here we could not with all the earnestness at our command we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start that's the day you walk in the door the day you walk in the door i want to introduce you to steps 10 and 11 as they're outlined in the big book of alcoholics anonymous i want to give you a day or two with that 
I want to take you to the front of the book and I want to start reading with you, not have you go read something and come back and tell me how it went and all this. No, I want to read with you through the process of the book. I want to share my experience, strength, and hope, and I want to hear yours. And I want to break down self and take a square look at it. We beg of you to be fearless and throw from the very start. In other words, be ready. Be ready. Some of us tried, keyword, tried to hold on to our, and, and here it is, old ideas. Without even knowing it, we still try to hold on to those things inside of the rooms. How has that worked out for us? Ask ourselves that question. The result was nil until we let go absolutely, and that's nothing, zero, zilch. Remember, and I want to remember this. <laughs> if anything, God, I want to remember this. Please, God, help me remember this. That I deal with alcohol, I deal with lust, I deal with drugs. Not feelings, not issues, not all that crap that I hear whenever I go to a law of these me. This is a feelings disease. I don't read that anywhere here. My book says I deal with alcohol. I deal with lust. I deal with codependent, whatever our problem may be. Cunning, baffling, and powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. So much for just relying upon me. Just go to meetings and don't drink. You ever hear that anywhere? Not according to that sentence. There's one who has all power, and it's not the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous or Sexaholics Anonymous or you know, Overeaters or whatever it may be. That one is God. May you find him now. And I guarantee you, once you take a good look at self, that one, we better hope he's there pretty quick. And thank God that he is and was. So half measures of eldest nothing. We stood at the turning point, and I think that is probably the truth for every one of us, most of us on any given day. I think we stand at the turning point, not like we did the day we walked in, but our thought process, I think we stand at the turning point more than we even realize. Look at this beautiful prayer that's very rarely ever used by anybody inside of the fellowship. I use this prayer every day. This is called the protection prayer, or it's what I call it. We ask, and anytime I see those two words in that book, in this book, that's a prayer. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. And I'm going to have to do this because I'm fixing to take a journey. I'm fixing to take a walk into the middle of this thing. And I need protection and I need care and I need love and support from other members who have been through this process. And I need to stay away from people that are still suffering from old ideas. I love them and I wish them well on their journey but I don't need them. <laughs> I need people who has this experience because this is what I'm after. Here are the steps we took. That's the first 100 people that wrote the book. That's what that sentence is. Here are the steps that we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. You'll hear that all the time in different meetings. The program, you know, the, the steps are a part of the program. We'll get you to this part and this part, not according to that. According to that, the steps are the program. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. So there's a big difference between sobriety and recovery. And this very first step shows us that. We admitted that we were powerless over alcohol. Now, remember, we looked at being powerless for two reasons, not one. Once we put it in our body, we can't stop because of the physical allergy. Once we take it out of our body, we can't stay away because of the mental obsession. That's the same way with lust. That's the same way with food, whatever it may be. I'm powerless for two reasons, not one. My life had become unmanageable. 
So I'm powerless over alcohol, lust, drugs, whatever it may be, physically and mentally. But my life is unmanageable because of a spiritual malady. So really, there's three areas of this that I want to take a look at in this first step. The allergy, the obsession, and the spiritual malady. Uh, the first half of step one is what brought me here. The last half of it is what keeps me here. My life will become unmanageable again and again and again, and I will sicken and die. I know. I've done it. <laughs> I haven't died physically, thank God, yet, but I have come pretty close on many occasions, and I know many of you have as well. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Look at those first two words, came to, that's past tense. We came to that belief a long time ago. We're not talking about a belief in God. We're talking about reconnecting to the power which we have been disconnected from. And self has overtook our life and drove us to the dirt inside of the rooms over and over and over and over. So we come to believe that a power greater than self can restore us to sanity. Step three, we made a decision to turn our will in our lives Look at that. It doesn't ask me to give anything to God. It says, I'm going to make a decision to turn my will in life over to the care of, not give anything to God. Man, that changed my life right there when I read that in this way. So our will, we will look at as our thinking. Our lives, we will look at as our action. All we're going to do is make a decision to turn the way that we think and the way that we act over to the care of God, as in squiggly writing, Charlie says, always pay close attention to this, David. We understood him. Now, I went to a lot of meetings in the beginning, and all I heard was God as I understand him. God as I understand him. Well, God as we understand him. My book doesn't talk so much about that. It talks about God as we understood him. So what I understood in year one was something different than what I understood in year two. And in year five, I understood something different. And in year 10, I understood something different. And then in 12, and then in 15, and then in 20 and 25. What I've understood as I've grown in this program has changed because it's God as I understood him. When I understand something, that's it. That's final. I understand. You don't need to tell me anymore. I got it now. But that's not what our book says. It says we're going to turn our thinking and our actions over to the care of. I had a son that drowned in Lake Monroe, Indiana in 1995. Prior to that, if I'd have brought him to you, I would have expected you to take care of him to the best of your ability until I could have come back to have got him. And most of you would have done that. That's all we're doing with God here. We want to hand our thinking and our actions over to him. And by the time we get to page 85 in this process, we get to get that back. There is a beautiful promise on page 85 in this book. My gosh, you know, it's a, it's just unbelievable how this process is. So. We're going to take an in-depth look at step three. Step four, we're going to make a searching and fearless moral inventory. Now, the directions to those two steps are laid out in the chapter. So usually whenever I read through this part of it, I usually stop right here. I don't read on through all the rest of the steps because we're not to those steps when I'm with a new man. Here's the deal. We paid a tremendous price to get here. Let's be willing to do whatever it takes to stay here. And for most of us that have been in and out of here over and over and over and over, we know it's going to take something tremendous in order for us to stay here. We got it right here in our hands, right here in front of us. So if you would, flip with me to page 60. We will come back to visit the rest of these as we move on through this book. 
but we're going to drop down to where it says many of us exclaimed what an order i can't go through with it ever feel that way talking with your sponsor sitting in front of him reading the book going to a meeting i can't go through with the book says don't be discouraged no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles that's why i was always confused at church i thought some were living to the utmost of them and some of us weren't and those of us that wasn't was was headed for for a bad place hell the reality was i was already in a bad place and so no one among us has been able to do that so if you see somebody that you feel is a spiritual guru inside of the room don't worry about it hell he ain't maintaining anything like perfect adherence to any principles either because we're not saints but the point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines question mark there should be a question mark right there and i have my people stop right there and, and ask that question Am I willing to grow along spiritual lines? The principles, the 12 steps, you'll hear all oh, one is this and two is hope and one is faith and this. And the 12 and 12 bill says it this way. The steps are a set of principles, spiritual in their nature. So that's all the principles are. They're the steps. And so it says the principles, the steps we have set down, they are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, step one. We've seen that in the first three chapters. The description of the alcoholic was laid out beautifully within those first three chapters of the book. If you was with us, if not, I encourage you to go back and listen to the recordings. The chapter to the agnostic, step two. We just finished that. And our personal adventures before and above that I have, I drank or I acted out before I did any of that. And after I quit, make the clear three pertinent ideas. That we were alcoholic. That should be a question mark there. And we cannot manage our own lives. We've seen that in chapters 1 and 2. That probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. We've seen that in chapter 3. We beat that to death looking through there. That our ideas is what was killing us. Not other people and their ideas. That God could and would if he were sought. And there it is if he were soft. That's the condition. So our book says self manifests in various ways. Now that we've talked about these beliefs, these concepts, these ideas, these prejudices, we've talked about self over and over and over these weeks. We're going to dig in deep. We're going to look him square in the eye for the first time. And really, we're going to begin to see it through these pages right here. Being convinced. Being convinced of what? Being convinced of these first 60 pages that I've just read. Am I convinced of step one and two? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, am I convinced? If I am, the book says we were at step three, which is that we decided, that's our decision, to turn our will, remember that's our thinking, and our life, remember that's our action, over to God as we understood him. It doesn't say anything about giving anything to God. We're going to turn our thinking and our actions over because I don't know about you, but up to that point, mine hadn't been working out very well under the direction of self. What do we mean by this? And what do we do? Well, the first requirement is that we be convinced. I must be convinced of this beyond a shadow of a doubt that any life run on self-will, small s, can hardly be a success. If you have ever written an inventory in this program, or if you haven't, and you do, 
when you write your first column, just a list of names and people, principals and institutions, you take a look at that list and you come back and look at this sentence that we just read. Any life run on self-will can hardly be. On that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody. This most definitely relates to our first column in inventory because we're going to see how we've been in collision with something or somebody mostly our entire life. It's pretty crazy. Even when my motives were good. Wow. <laughs> most people I try to live by self-propulsion. Look at that small s. He keeps throwing that at us over and over and over. So, well, we better stop right there. We'll just stop right there. We'll come back to this next week and uh, really hope that you get a chance to come back out and visit with us on this because this is the meat and the potatoes of the book right here. I tell you, this is where life begins to change for a whole lot of us coming through this process. We really begin to see the culprit of what is wrong with us for the first time in our life when a plan of action to face and be rid of that which is killing us. So I'm really glad to be here tonight. I've kind of had a little bit of a cold this past week, so I apologize for my voice being all hoarse and scratchy, but it's been good to study the book tonight in this way for sure. So thanks, everybody. This concludes David's share on tonight's chapter, but we encourage you to keep listening as he answers questions from the audience and shares additional experience, strength, and hope. Well, David, I have a question. Back on 55, you had mentioned that there were three things that you recommended for people to do. Um, I think the first was review the chapter, two was to get silent, and if you don't mind just repeating the prayer that you have for the third part. Absolutely. Number three, then ask God, am I ready to step from the bridge of reason to the shore fate? Awesome. Thank you. And did I get the first two parts correct? Yes, ma'am. Review the chapter. Get quiet within. Yes. Perfect. That's All what right. they had when I came through this work based off of what we had that looked at on page 53 of the book last week. Hi, David G. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. I got a question on page 59 where you read half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. You said that we this occurs more than we know can you expound on that a little bit thanks yeah absolutely glad you're here brother i find that that in my thinking in my thought process i stand at the turning point more often than not and that that has to do with everyday life that goes on as as i do it with you know my 10 steps and the program and stuff like that there are certain times that I come up on thoughts that I'm not quite sure which way to turn. There, it's hard to get quiet real quick and say a prayer and listen for guidance, and especially if you've got a quick decision that you need to make. So for me, that's where that prayer right after what you read right there comes in. We ask his protection and care with complete abandon. And I want to, so for me, whenever I said that, I was talking more about I stood at the turning point for one in 1995, whenever I came in for the first time in 2019, when I hit a bump in the road again. But today I look at that in my thought process where I'm, am I at a turning point today? I mean, what, what's that look like for me? So I try to look at it more than just with drinking or drugging or whatever the issue is. So, 
Hey, David. So happy to be here. Thank you so much. So much good stuff. Oh, my goodness. I am um, actually I have two things. They're quick. Page 55 at the very bottom, you said his change of heart was dramatic, convincing and moving. Can you t remind me again what those stood for? Yes, ma'am. Dramatic physical i have the physical written above that because usually whenever i'm dramatic there's some there's something physical going on one way or the other body motion or whatever it may be convincing i look at that in the mental aspect and then moving of course spiritual and those were the three things that happened to this guy his change of heart entailed all of those not just one and thank you and then the other part um, thing, when you were talking about the principles, I mean, I've always heard that uh, that is the steps, but you know how sometimes they'll throw what, like words next to step one stands for honest or courage or whatever. Is that a thing <laughs> or is that something that was just made up along the line? You know, I, I don't think it was in the original. I think it came later on. I'm very okay with that. It's just uh, my sponsor, Charlie of Joe and Charlie really beat that into me. We're not going to pay attention to any of that. We're going to look at what it says that the steps are a set of principles, spiritual in their nature. And we want to look because if I start getting hung up on all of that, then my mind goes from the book. And that's just my experience. I don't I, I, there again. <laughs> if anybody okay. having a good success with that, continue doing it, please. So awesome. good to see you, Sue. Thank you. Good to see you. My question pertains more to the one of the teachings that you are know, one of the sessions from last week or the week before on this chapter. And I don't even know if this is the appropriate question to ask in this forum. But when you were talking about terms and you were talking about like um, specifically like with the word Jesus Christ and you're saying that that does not bother those words don't bother you anymore. Um, and I was just wondering if you could um, help me to kind of like reconcile the fact that, um, so I'm a Christian and I don't have a problem with the term Jesus Christ either, but there's other things that I, I struggled with um, in, in, in the Bible, but also in the big book. And I, I guess my question is, how do I reconcile with step two? when it says that, um, that it's all inclusive and that there's many ways to God and that, um, we can make a God of our own understanding, but in my faith tradition and in, in the Bible specifically, it says there's only one God and there's only one way to the father. That's a, that's a very good question. And that is something that I had a question about, and I hear that question more often than not. So you're not alone, sister, for sure. And I just want to remind you that most of us, the only meeting that we're ever late to is the first one we ever get to. So for me, that was, you know, about 30 years too late. So um, you're ever late. So, so glad you're here. You know, I, the more important part of that exercise for me was what does this really mean to me? Because obviously the meaning behind that term for me, really is what had me tangled up in, in my thought process. And for me, whenever I looked at Jesus, I had always, I had an old idea of that by, you know, he was whipped and he was beaten and he was killed and it was my fault. And these are, I don't know if that's what was said, but that's what I heard. And so I had a problem with that. I had a big problem with that all my life. And 
what I learned through that exercise for me was to look more at like the resurrection, the life after death. Same thing that happened for us here. We came here. We died to self. We rose again. We walked a free man. Same thing. I started looking at it different. It was the same term. It was only different. Now, as far as what that says, the only thing that I can really encourage you is to study on page 55, what we looked at tonight, second to the last paragraph on that page. We can only clear the ground a bit if our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, which is an old idea, enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself. And if you wish, you can draw on this on the broad highway with this attitude, you cannot fail. But here's the sentence I would really have you prayerfully consider. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. And if that's your belief and it has come to you and you're sure of that, I encourage you to stay with that belief beyond all doubt. No matter what anybody says, no matter what the book says, no matter what. If that's your belief, that's your conviction, stay with that. I know that I have mine and it's made all the difference. So I hope you come back again. We're going to look real a lot closer at this next week for sure. So, Thank you, Davey. Um, my question is, um, you said it, it says that we turn our will and our life over to God. It doesn't say we give. What is the difference? To me, it's the same thing. Yes, ma'am. For me, it was something quite different. If I turn it over to you, there, there's probably a, an, an opportunity for me to get it back. If I give it to you, there's a chance I may never get it back. So for me, I go by what it says off of page 85 of our book. And it might take us just another quick second. But let's take a look at that over there on page 85. And it says this, second to the last paragraph on the page. These are the thoughts which must go with us constantly. We our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. So if I can exercise my willpower along those lines, that means obviously I get it back. So for me to turn it over to the care of God, that means at some point when my thoughts are aligned, my will is aligned with his, I get it back. And it's very clear to me right there that that's what happens to me here. Because when I'm thinking along those lines, then I'm walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. If I'd given that away, and, and that's just me. But that's how I read the book, and it, it makes a lot of sense. So thank you. Yeah, thank you.